Gibbons, and this is The Story Fits, uh, a show based on good news stories, first starting in the world of sports and then spreading out all over the place. I'll do an interview for part of the hour and then talk about a few good news stories I picked up along the way. I have a guest today in the studio. We are lucky to be talking to Mr. Randy Obram. Uh, Randy, well, let's see, has worn many hats and has been many places in his career, and he's not an old guy. Well, yes, he is a little older than me, but but he's a uh, but he has been. Let's see, Car- Carmel graduate, class of seventy four, seventy two, seventy two, class of seventy two. That's right. That makes you older than me by a year. Um, and and since then he has been. He played football at Knox College. He was a head football coach at Tiscawa High School. And folks, go ahead and look that up quick. Google Tiscawa um, High School. And was that in the southern part of the state, Randy? West Central Illinois. West Central Illinois. So for us up here, folks, that's south. Um, and then and then on to be the head football coach at his alma mater at Knox College. For how many years were you there? Randy? Eleven. Eleven years as the head football coach. And then he was an athletic director at a school in the suburbs of St. Louis, correct? Uh, and then an athletic director for a bunch of years here at Nutrier High School in Winnetka. And he's, uh, well, what do you call what you're doing now? (laughs) Well, I'm retired, as you know. I know you're retired, and you're working over at Libertyville High School helping be an an acting athletic director, aren't you? Right, on an interim basis. On an interim basis. I'm sharing that job with another retired retired administrator. administrator. Okay, so... Folks, what what an interesting uh, life experience he's had, and it started way back where uh, where I work, uh, his senior year at high at high school at Carmel. Um, so Randy and I got to know each other over the years. Uh, I was when I became head football coach at Carmel in '86, and we had a winning season. Randy sent me a note, one of the notes I'll never forget, congratulating me and reminding me of the importance of the higher number. Being on the left side of the dash when you say a record. I don't know if you remember writing that, but you did write that, and I laughed because I got the same note from a couple of great coaches. And and uh, and since then, we've been friends, and, and I, well, I've watched his career, and he's kind of watched mine. Uh, I have mine today, though, because this is the story fits, and, and, and it's a great connection to uh, – well, to sports, and you're a great connection to sports because you've seen it all. I mean, you've seen high school sports at, at, at a level like, I mean, Tisco, where you were very successful, but that's small high school sports. And then you saw college sports at the Division three level, but Knox College being one a premier academic university, so it's a different kind of Division three. Uh, and I'm not knocking the Whitewaters, folks. I'm just saying Knox College, you know, the average ACT walking around there is a 32. So when you're walking around with an average ACT of 32, the kind of kids you're getting in there are a little bit different. So so Randy has seen that, and then he has been an athletic director at a couple of places, one in, in Missouri. But what I'd like to focus on a little bit today is he's an athletic director at a, at a school, a new Shure, which has 5,000 kids. And, and uh, 
I think 46 or something sports or 40. How many interscholastic sports? Do you even remember? Well, 4,000 students fits. In oh, a, is it 4,000? I'm sorry. And about 36 or 37 varsity sports. And about 2,000 individual students a year will participate in a sport there. And I'm sure that number is uh, at that level or higher now. And that accumulates to about 3,000 student seasons. So we had a staff of 185 coaches. 225 coaching positions and uh, uh, of course there are a number of schools like that in Illinois but but it is one of the larger operations yes so you you that perspective alone is different than anything we've talked about here and and uh, just to let you know uh, we had well I had the athletic uh, the principal in at St. Gilbert's grammar school and he talked about the they have a great athletic program there and this is why I say it's a great athletic program it's because 84 to 85% of the kids from fourth grade on per, are, are in a sport. They, when they need it, they don't have like ben, a long bench. When they have more kids, they make another team. And, and it's not an A team and a B team. It's green, blue, yellow. And they just make other teams. It's a, incredible, and, and and it's wonderful, and all and, you know. So, and and St. Gilbert's feeds Carmel, so I get to know a lot of these kids, and they'll they're all telling, well, yeah, I played sports. Well, you, you're not interested much in athletics. Yeah, but we all played sports. It was part of the thing to be on a team, and then you did something else, which was a great way, I think, in 2018, of approaching a healthy way of playing sports. And so, you've seen a whole different side of it, and I, I'm kind of excited to get into that. Maybe, maybe this first. What? It's 2018. You're over at Libertyville, and we don't talk about Libertyville so much as much as is you just you just retired from Nutria. You've seen it all. How many years were you athletic director once you left Knox? 20. 20. So 20 years ago versus today. And you, you're calling kids up to go to Knox. So really that counts. You're 11 years as head coach. You're knowing the kind of kid you're getting out of school. What do you see as some of the major differences if you were to kind of get at that? Well, that's a great question, Fitz. And actually that probably goes back to your youth and mine when we were introduced to these activities that eventually for us became sports activities and they were informal, they were in the backyard or on the playground or down at the park or in the church parking lot. And we uh, began our experiences simply in free play. And if it was basketball or maybe it was wiffle ball or baseball or touch football in somebody's front yard, and we were responsible for the conduct of all these activities. So we would pick the teams, you know, and you and I would get picked toward the end because we probably weren't, weren't as, as good athletes. They as sometimes they actually forgot I was there, Randy. <laughs> didn't um, get picked at all? I never get picked. Sometimes I didn't get picked. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm still here. Go ahead. So we uh, navigated all that. We officiated our own games. We organized our own games. Our parents were, in most cases, able to let us go to these places after school without worry, without consideration. And when the street light went on or the dinner bell rang or whatever the calling card was to come home for supper, that's when those games would end. And, and so the way that we grew up is much, much different than the way the elementary school child grows up today. And their exposure into these athletic activities is is much different so i think that's where the story begins 
it really begins with a generation like ours in which we were almost wholly responsible for our own experience. And, and to me, there's tremendous value in that. And I think the core of really, really strong interscholastic or intercollegiate programming is remembering uh, what those core values are and how they're associated with those activities. And uh, really, for people our age who have, who have seen a lot of things, the, the change is that over time, those activities were taken out of the hands of children and uh, kind of unwittingly put in the hands of adults. And some of that has to do with the change in uh, the way kids live their lives. We no longer have neighborhoods. We, we, if we're fortunate enough, uh, we maybe have a subdivision, but it isn't the same as, as the neighborhood. And so when those things began to erode and change, some of them for good reasons, some of them not, uh, kids no longer had control of their own experience. And so the change that I think we've seen the last 40 or 45 years has been one in which the adults trying to do their best, trying to manage their experience, trying to get their kids involved, have unwittingly changed it and uh, not always for the better. So what you're saying, and, and, and I think that anybody out there with, with, you know, was really looking at objectively would, would agree with you. You said it so well, though. And I will say you didn't really say all a negative thing because what you said was, I think, and I think you're right, a lot of the time, you know, the, the motivation is positive. The motivation is good. What's behind it is good. It just doesn't get carried out sometimes in a positive way. And, and so. Right. And when we look at programs, what we like to do is talk about what are the outcomes what are the intended outcomes for children of the programs that we're running? So I would ask you, Fitz, right now, if you don't mind entertaining me, uh, if I were to ask you the question as a parent, and maybe ask our listeners as parents or participants or uncles or coaches, to write down three things or four or five that should be the outcome of a high school athletic experience for any boy or girl, what would those be? What would those outcomes be? And, and uh, maybe somebody would be bold enough to write that down on a sheet of paper right now. But this is the activity we engage families in and student athletes and coaches wherever we are when we begin to look at what we're offering. And it's remarkable, Fitz, because we did this in 1996. We did it in 2007. We did it a year ago when we were helping a high school down Interstate 88. And we had the whole community engaged in this activity and if you compared the lists 20 years apart nearly identical i believe it and what are some of the words that people put on those lists well what words would you put well they would put personal growth responsibility uh hard work goal orientation you know they would do that and they wouldn't write winning college scholarship um, would they? No. <laughs> Playing time. No. <laughs> no. Now, they might put competitive excellence because part of that is a, oh, a striving. Right. Why w And why wouldn't you write competitive? Right. That, and that they would. might put striving down, too. Striving would be a good thing. And one thing that, that, that kids always put down in every list I've ever seen. And what word do you think that is? Well, don't, don't do this to me. Do I get a multiple choice? Yeah. Is this like HQ or come on? Well, I <laughs> 
I got a giggle from the booth there. <laughs> it's easy. He, he knows. It's fun. Fun. Well, yes. And fun should be number one. Right. It should be number one. E- exactly. And fun can be a little frivolous or fun can be really serious. And as, as you get older, of course, fun becomes more complex. But, but good-hearted, good, sensible fun has got to be the outcome of these programs, one of the outcomes. Well, I think if you go back and look at what you described earlier about uh, neighborhoods and down the park, in the street, playing wiffle ball, et cetera, I think their whole reason I got together when I was a kid with my friends was to have fun. And a lot of that was playing sports, uh, the sport of the season. Right. So that's what we did. Because it was fun, not for any other reason. And, of course, the competitive edge was second. Striving was – they were all part of it. Hey, let's get better at this. But what was first was fun. Right. And you and you got to this. I think it might have been one of the words you mentioned. But the ability to belong to a group, to be part of a group, to be valued within the group, uh, those are really important things for, for young people and for adults, frankly. Well, they are, but I don't think – there, I don't. Somewhere that's getting lost in the translation because you don't have the numbers anymore that you used to have in all sports that you can have numbers in. And, and part of that fits again goes to this very complex web of athletic opportunities that now permeate life everywhere. And uh, you're talking about out of season sports. Talking about out of season, call it what you want, club or club travel sports, or AU, all those. And and the phenomena that we found, uh, this would have been at Nutria when at one point, and rem- and remember, Nutria's had its fair share of success in interscholastic athletics. So it's not a it's not a question of winning or losing. But here's something that has changed there. At one point, Nutria might have 85 or 100 boys try out for baseball. And over the years, the baseball's still been very good. You know, frequent trips down to Joliet to play in the state finals. But what's changed is the number of kids who try out. And that phenomenon has been impacted dramatically because they've begun to play at such a tender age in these highly organized, highly competitive... Feeder teams. Feeder teams, they call them. Uh, But maybe... Maybe a little too young to say, Johnny, you're going to be terrific. And, Bill, you just don't have the foot speed necessary to be a great high school player. Of course, Bill's in fourth grade. You know, Bill Bill yet isn't yet 6'4 and 190 pounds and a deer. He's, he's a little pudgy fourth grader. And so what we found was the herd had been sorry, called. Bill, sorry, Bill. I didn't say anything about your weight, okay? <laughs> Whoever Bill out there, I did uh, not call you pudgy. No, but Bill became 6'4 and 190, so, he, you know, Bill's – it was looking down at both of us. Unfortunately, the herd has been culled, and much to the detriment of all kids, because kids believe, perhaps at that young age, that they don't have the capacity to enjoy that activity. And the reality is, they probably well. Do. Even a pla- even a place like Carmel, which you know, I have a obviously I work there and I love it, and but I have a special place in my heart for the Carmel sports program, and and uh, you know my. When my son Michael was a senior, when he was a freshman, he played. Fi- he was five foot six, one hundred thirty-two pound right guard in offense, right. Uh, and right. he couldn't. He had Osgood slaughter in his feet and in his ankles and his knees, and he couldn't move. Or you didn't. If you were calling, he'd been gone. 
when he was a senior, he was six foot four hundred eighty pounds and and playing safety. Yep. So uh, and doing very well. And when you know throwing him out there, you know he was the athlete of the year, his senior year. Part of the reason he was athlete of the year is because out of three hundred thirty graduates, he was the only three sport athlete. When you that's another thing I would like to touch on. When you were going to school, Randy, how many guys, even just guys, were three sport athletes? Well, it, it was uh, a multitude. A multitude. And there were places to play. And that's, that's a real challenge for every school. And what really has impacted the three-sport athlete at the high school level isn't necessarily the three seasons fits. It's the summer. Yeah, what do you do in the summer? If you don't specialize, you're not going to be good enough. And, and really smart coaches do their very best to, quote-unquote, share, share those boys and girls in the summer so they get a little taste of everything and that's the right way to do it but it's become much more challenging i i don't want to because you mentioned carmel i don't want to miss out on the chance to talk about what a redemptive experience carmel was for me because you know a little bit of this story my dad was a salesman we lived all over the country and his last move my junior year in high school was to mundelein and he enrolled me in at carmel and that's the reason we ended up in Mundelein, because the Catholic school was in Mundelein, and that's where we were going to live. And my brother and sister had great experiences there, too. But if not for the athletic program at Carmel, if not for the coaches, and, and of course, uh, many of those were teachers, it's hard to say uh, where my life would have landed. But there's no question that that was a turning point for me. And being able to participate in those activities, being on a team, having friends, having some uh, discipline, having some common goals. And you know those coaches. We could both name them that yes, were there we at that time. Yes, we could. And, and I learned uh, I learned a lot of what I was able to learn as a coach and a teacher from those same people. Uh, as a coach and a teacher, when I got there, I wasn't good enough to be one of those athletes at my high school. I did run cross country, which is a challenging sport to do uh, if you're good at it and train, um, I wasn't very good. I did show up for practice every day, and I did run, but uh, uh, that was that was about all I did. Uh, when we come back, first of all, this is WSFI FM 88.5 FM. This is The Story Fits. I do want to give a little shout-out to – you can Google me. That's amazing. I can't believe you can Google me and find, find – you could actually find my website, goodnewsfitsall.com. That's goodnewsfitsall.com, and the story fits is the show. Now, both of those are Zs on that fits, okay, because it's F-I-T-Z. That's not clever. It just works out that way. That's my name. So, you know, look up, look me up. You can, and you can look me up on the, on, the, on the website, maybe listen to one of the old shows. Okay, so, again, WSFI, we're going to be back after the break and talk more to Randy Obram.
Are you retired or near retirement? Do you want to keep a larger amount of your assets in a safe place with guaranteed interest rates to protect yourself from a huge market swing? Are you amazed at how low the interest rates are at your bank? If you said yes to any or all of those questions, you may want to call me, Matt Tomlinson, at Catholic Financial Life to discuss our guaranteed fixed rate annuities. Call 847-548-MATT, 847-548-6288. Products not available in all states. Hello, I am Mark Schroth from the Salzman Library at the St. Francis de Sales Seminary. The Salzman Library is the seminary library, but is also the library for the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. So everybody is welcome. Our hours are Tuesdays and Thursdays, noon until 8, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays, 10 until 4. We have a large collection of Catholic materials, including things on the sacraments, things on the saints, church history, biblical studies, philosophy, other faith traditions, as well as a ever-expanding DVD and CD collection. So come in, get a card, we'll show you around. For more information, you can visit us at www.sfs.edu slash Salzman, S-A-L-Z-M-A-N-N. We hope to see you there. Thank you very much. Welcome back to The Story Fits. Yes, The Story Fits with Mike Fitzgibbons as your host. <laughs> That's just, that cracks me up every time. Uh, we are on WSFI-FM. That's 88.5 on your dial. And uh, we are live. It'll be sh- it'll, you'll hear it again a couple times uh, replayed, but this is live right now. My guest today in the studio, Randy Obrimt, a man of many hats right now, one of the interim athletic directors at Libertyville High School, but he's been around the world, and we had a fascinating discussion, first uh, segment about uh, high school sports and what's happened in the last 20 to 30 years, and in, in Randy, in the area, not only in the area, everywhere in high school sports, and, and maybe some of the problems, and, and, and of course some of the problems are uh, the lack of, like, collegiality, which is what you talked about, and and the you know and so and really why kids even play sports as part of kind of a problem and uh we talked about the idea of what would be the list of words that people would say what's a good program and that list hasn't changed but people certainly are doing it for different reasons and so the number one word on the list as you described was fun and i love that and then you work from there uh randy what are what what are ways i'm a parent now i am now but Let's say I have some kids growing up. What would be some good ways of battling the possible problem? Well, Fitz, you, you said this earlier, and, and one of the real distinctions that we all have to, to make for our kids is the difference between process and product. And we're, in our culture, in many ways, very product-driven, and we talk about people that are bottom-line people, and that, and that connotation usually means that you're results-oriented, and there's nothing wrong with that in its own measure, but uh, taking the extremes, being product-oriented, uh, narrows your focus so dramatically that the more important part, and that's process, is, is neglected. So if we were to talk about process in high school athletics, we would talk about teaching and learning and uh, 
all the growth opportunities that young people have at that age and how athletics supports those growth opportunities. And, and the process is you go out every day, you do your best, you work with others, you support others, you listen carefully, you engage, you, your effort is high, your compassion is high. And we know, you were a very successful high school coach, we know that uh, in the long run, process-driven programs are going to have great product also. Product-driven programs often lack process. And so what I would say to a parent, and you and I were both parents of athletes, sometimes we did a good job, sometimes, I speak for myself, not so good in that area. Who, who can be graded at all the time? I don't think right. anybody can all the time. But, but we, would, we would say to parents, say, talk about what's happening in that practice scenario that is going to be useful later on in life. Uh, and all the things we just talked about, how you help people, how you support people, how you engage yourself, how you think, how you react, how you respond to pressure, all of those skills are lifelong skills that you can use to have a better life for your kids, to have a better life for your co-workers or your, or your company to be, be more successful. The product-generated uh, thinking uh, is very limited in terms of its long-term value to individuals. So we say to parents, focus on the process. The product will be just fine. If your student athlete's intended to be a Division I prospect, uh, as about 1% to 2% of high school athletes are, uh, then that'll happen with a process-driven uh, regimen. And I think uh, that'd be the advice I would give. And so, well, it, your, in your experience, if they, if they hear that and listen to that, they have a good experience in high school athletics with their with right their you've got a far more likely chance to enjoy the experience thinking about it as a process than you do focusing only on well, the you product. know you were saying that you know uh, as as a teaching and learning and 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 give and take and support and those words are words that come out of a classroom and I all and those guys you were talking about that you played for at Carmel, there were still some of the guys were still there when I got there, as a teacher and a coach. And I'm a young guy out of college, didn't know what I was doing. What they taught me early was, hey Fitz, you're good in the English class. It doesn't matter what you don't know out here yet. You'll learn it because you're a good teacher. You'll be a good coach because coaching is just teaching. And, and I never forgot that. I always treated the practice field, even a game, as a classroom. And, and well, I ho you, you always hope that's being done. Not sure people are conscious of that. Uh, you know, what a privilege it is to watch your kid practice. What a privilege it is to watch him play a game because really what you're watching him do is go to school. How many parents get to watch their kids go to school? And a lot of times you don't get to watch that. You're so right, Fitz. And, and uh, good parenting is, is also good teaching probably you could say and those skills uh, that a good parent has a good teacher probably possesses as well and some of that is patience and understanding and allowing for growth and allowing for error uh, to turn into an opportunity to learn something else and you know if we all took a deep breath we, we'd be better at all those things well parents would be and coaches would be and teachers would be and what you just said there you know when you have parent teachers conferences or a parent contacts you about a classroom situation you know if they contact you and it's about that how do we partner up to make this experience better for yeah. that my son or daughter that 
That's the same conversation that could be happening in a sports situation is what you're saying, right? right. And I, right. I agree with you 100%. You know, Randy, can I move on? Um, you have seen, not that you're ancient, and I did want to try to bring that up earlier, but uh, but you kept saying how old you both of us are, which, whatever, um, frustrates me a little bit. But you're, uh, you've seen it all at different levels, and, and, and you've seen a lot of these... Uh, what you know when you talk about I'm a good news kind of guy. This show is about good news. That last part of the conversation is really good thinking, good news. I think, and it started with we we were talking about a big problem. I think, and there are solutions for. Well, tell me a story, Randy. You know you've been everywhere. Tell me a story. Well, uh, thanks, Fitz. Thanks for the opportunity to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I warned you. Uh, no, you did, and and. Uh, uh, this has been on my mind a little bit because uh, I had an opportunity to see this person about a month ago. And this is a y- young man who uh, it was our pleasure to work with down at Knox College in Galesburg. And this is about 1987, so it's some time ago. And, you know, we would try to recruit the very best athletes we, we could that fit our academic profile and then do the very best we could to g- get a good team on the field. And, and uh you know, occasionally we would, you know, hit the hit, knock a home run, and every now and then we'd we'd bunt. And uh, this was a case where we were contacted by a a fellow named a young man named Don Harmon. And so, if you, if your listeners are in front of a computer and you Google Don Harmon, this is going to be fun. And so, Don Harmon is a student who's attending Saint uh, went to Saint Giles uh, Elementary Catholic School in Oak Park. Oak and, Park, yeah. Yep, and then. Uh, Pretty bright guy, Don Harmon was, so he attended uh, St. Ignatius College Prep, which now has football, but did not have football in 1988. So Don Harmon a, a, appears on a visit and wants to speak to the football coach, and sure enough, I, I'm speaking to Don Harmon, who wants to play football at Docs College and has never lined up and uh, never engaged in an activity that involves a three-point stance or anything like it. So Don Harmon matriculates at Knox and, and uh, you know, and, and eventually uh, becomes a tremendous guy in the weight room. Has some of our strength records. Don Harmon doesn't really ever play a lot for us, but is a great and valued member of our team and was with some guys who were really pretty darn good football players and good guys and very, very solid students. And But Don is a representative guy there and uh, Don leaves, graduates, uh, Knox, and leaves and, and goes on and does a couple of things. He goes to the University of Chicago where he uh, gets both an MBA and a law degree at the same time. So, so Don's doing pretty well. And we have a scholar-athlete banquet that really is a recruiting tool. We bring Don Harmon back. And Don Harmon is our speaker at the scholar-athlete banquet, and, and uh, you know how you learn from your players. So I'm listening to Don Harmon, and, and he says one of the most profound things at this banquet that I've ever heard, and he says it in such a great way. Don's father was deceased, lost his dad. So Don comes back to the banquet in front of 100 high school students that we're hoping to recruit, and Don's our ambassador, of course, because he's out at the University of Chicago getting these two degrees. Don says to the students, here's what I learned from my dad. My dad told me one day to go shovel the sidewalk down in Oak Park where the family still lived. And I went out and shoveled the sidewalk. 
And then I came back in the house because it was cold, and I looked out, and I just said, sidewalk shoveled, Dad. And Dad looks out the window and says, no, Don, the sidewalk is not shoveled. Don, here's something you need to know and understand. When you shovel a sidewalk, you shovel it to the edge. And out went down Harmon to finish shoveling that sidewalk. So Don is saying to these high school students, here's what I learned. Everything in life, everything you do, men, you do it in such a way that you have shoveled that sidewalk to the edge. Meaning, you do it in the best, most complete manner in which you can. Everything you do from that down. And, and so I'm listening. I got goosebumps. Going. I'm about ready to cry because Don Harmon is educating me to a absolutely critical point. So to this day, when I take on a project, it's not that uncommon for me to think about Don Harmon and wonder if I have shoveled the sidewalk to the edge. Well, that's a terminology I'm certainly going to be using soon. As a matter of fact, I'm wondering if I'm going to give you credit when I tell that story. Uh, you don't have to. You can give it to Don, Don Harmon, Harmon, who, by the way, if you Googled him, Don Harmon is president pro tem of the Illinois Senate. He's an Illinois state senator, very successful lawyer, and, and the number three guy uh, in the Senate on one party to the other, and I won't tell you which one in this in this conversation because it doesn't really matter. doesn't matter. Thank you. But Don Harmon is a guy, and I saw Don about three weeks ago with all these players. Don's the only guy not in the picture, fit. so I'm going to show you these former Knox players, all teammates of Don Harmon. Wow. And then there's the second picture. And, of course, several of these guys are Catholic League players. You, you know a couple of them. Wow, they've aged, Randy, so well, yes, never mind. Yes. You're, you must have been really young when you coached I them. was very young as a college it's coach, a <laughs> very young man. Very, very young. When did you make that move from Tiscawa to? Well, it was via Johnsburg. But Johnsburg, I, But yes. I was 31 years old. 31-year-old head football coach at a college. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's a great that, – now, see, now, there's a great story. A, he's never played football. B – you end out, well, why not? Come to our school, play football. He doesn't play much, but he's a great character for the team. And really, what's it all about? You know, it's not about, it's like we said before. Are those other words, are they happening? Uh, you know, I bet he got a bigger competitive edge. I bet he did with strive. Well, all the things yeah. you want in an athletic program. Yeah. And never do the word, and he had a lot of fun. And never do the words. Oh well, what's your record, or what's your win, or, or what does he get? Did he earn a scholarship to a different school, or none? None of that comes up, does it? Well respected by his teammates. Sure. Well, of course he would be, wouldn't he? And I, some of the players I coached that I remember the best never got never got on the field. Yeah. Never got on the field. Uh, I think we are. I think we are moving to our final break. Uh, I'm with Randy Obram. This is the story fits on WSFI FM. 88.5. Hi, I'm Juliana Tamarazzi, the host of Voice of Nineveh on WSFI Catholic Radio 88.5 FM. 
Please join me and our studio audience every first Friday of the month at 11 a.m. to discuss matters which our Christian brothers and sisters face every day in the Middle East. To make reservations to be in the studio audience, please call us at 224-206-8455. That number again is 224-206-8455. This is Guy Murphy with Totally Yours. And for all the listeners, I just want to really encourage them. Catholic Radio is so important because you are Our Lady's Army. You're the one who has to evangelize the people in our culture today. And WSFI 88.5 is a great tool to nourish our vocation, nourish your vocation. So stay plugged in because they keep us updated on the current events and all the wonderful things related to our Catholic faith. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Welcome back to the Story Fits, uh, the final segment of this program. Uh, Story Fits, this is WSFI-FM 88.5. My name's Mike Fitzgibbons. I'm the host of this show, The Story Fits. It would make sense. I'm sitting in the studio with Randy Obram. You wouldn't think Randy Obram would be the host of The Story Fits. Uh, A guy named Fitzgibbons would probably be the host of The Story Fits, I would think. Um, My website, goodnewsfitsall.com. You can Google me, look it up. Look me up. Maybe you'd want to listen to a couple of the past programs. They're, they're on there, along with all kinds of other things of interest, goodnewsfitsall.com. Uh, so, Randy, what I like to do this third segment, uh, you told us a story. And what I like to do is we're wired, I think, for bad news. And, and I think our society, the way it's set up, is wired for bad news. And, and it's really gotten me to the point, at this point in my career, I'm 42 years in a high school, I'm 20 years as a therapist, I coached all those years. It got me to the point where it really, really, best way to say, rankles my feathers. It just makes me crazy that we don't, why aren't they leading off a new show with a good news story? Why aren't they, why aren't they, I don't know if you noticed uh, that that guy was going to jump off a bridge in, in uh, Michigan the other day, and 13 truckers on their on their radios lined up trucks all the way across both sides of the expressway and no matter where he jumped he was not he was going to hit he was not going to make it to the street and that man is alive today because 13 truckers were driving in different directions for different companies and they thought enough to get involved and this is the world that that never happens in. You know, you hear enough about the awful things that happened. That story should have been, it was celebrated, but I think it should be celebrated even more. And that's my point. The story fits is about good news stories. And, and uh, when that one came out, I just checked it off and added it to the list. But what I'd like to, that might be the one you pick. There's other, there's other ones. Uh, there was a, um, this one I thought, I, just because being a sports fan, this lady in Winnipeg has been <laughs> a Winnipeg hockey fan for her entire life. And she could never, ever 
Money was always an issue. Raising kids. Okay, she never could go to a game. She was at an A&W, an A&W, talking to two young dudes, men, okay, about hockey. She heard, overheard them and disagreed with their, you know, they were talking about the night before his game, and they said something about what happened, and she's like, that's not the problem. When we're on offense, and boom, she went into this whole explanation, and they're like, lady. And she goes, we were at the game. She goes, well, I've never been to a game, but I'm telling you, this is what – and they got into a fascinating conversation with her. They got her name goofing around. Well, guess what they did? They bought her a ticket. And they weren't able to get two, so they flipped a coin, and one of them went and took her. And they, they met the three met for dinner, but only two could go. They took, he took her to the game, and she said she knew more about hockey than anyone else in the stands. She was yelling all the right things, and they came back and won in the third period. It was like one of the great nights of her life. And she said it was a great night of their life. And these two young men are like, no, 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 no. This was one of the best nights they ever had. And I thought, you know, that's a story. You know, it's, you know they clinched a playoff berth that night, the Winnipeg Jets. And, that's a, and then in the same kind of token, inner city, uh, inner city Louisiana, Baton Rouge, uh, bunch of kids playing pickup basketball game you heard about this yeah sure bunch of kids playing pickup basketball game here comes a funeral and the kids stopped the game and kneeled down while the cars go by and these two nuns are walking by and they see it and they take a picture of it that picture went viral it just took off and again, how much do you hear about inner city kids and the bad things they do and the bad things in the inner city, et cetera, et cetera? And, they, and the one boy got interviewed, and his, this was his quote What's the big deal? My mama taught me respect. What's the big deal? My mama taught me respect. There's a lot going on in that, those two sentences. <laughs> a, what's the big deal? Why are you taking our picture? Who cares? And B, my mama taught me respect, and didn't your mother teach you respect? I think that's what he was kind of saying. I, I kind of like that, that, that too. Uh, and then along the same line, here's a lady who has uh, uh, five kids, and she uh, had to drop out of school, got pregnant, got married. Third one on the way, seven months in, the husband drops dead of a heart attack, and she's without an education completely. And this lady picked herself up by her bootstraps. She's got a GED. She goes to community college, gets a degree. She goes to University of Houston, gets a degree. And now she's going to graduate from Texas Southern University's Thurgood Marshall School of Law. She's 33 years old, five kids. She's going to be a lawyer. And she says the whole reason she's able to do it is because her kids stuck by her. And her 14-year-old son is a stud. That's what she said. Amazing story. She's going to be a lawyer. And she's only 33. I mean, come on. When do you get out of law school? In your late 20s anyway. She isn't even missing anything. Am I right? Right. Oh, yes. So which one of those? Pick one. Which one of those intrigues you the most? I threw out three or four right there. I do this every show. So, you know, it's, I love stories like this. Well, I, I, I like the one about the kids down in uh, Baton Rouge. Yeah. And, and I thought you were going another direction because there was another... A uh, good story that involved young people and, and uh, basketball on a city street and involved a police officer who was called to the scene to 
uh, in, in a form of a complaint to investigate noise and ends up uh, not only playing basketball with with those kids but starting a foundation to supply baskets in in the inner city and but any anytime kids get a chance to make a decision and uh, I, I don't think we probably give kids enough credit for their capacity to make great decisions and this was a great decision that just makes you smile the whole the whole specter of thinking about those kids taking a moment to be respectful to some family's loss uh, that's 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 really heartwarming yeah and well and so you know msn.com has started not that they were listening to me, God forbid, that, that that wouldn't be. But since this show started, I've been, from listeners, I got a note. Did you know that MSN.com has started? When you look up the news of the day, you can click good news page or all news page. <laughs> and they have a good news page, and it's all up, all kept up to date. And I've, I've mentioned, I shout out to this guy every time, every single time. Father Glenn Snow is a Carmelite. He sends me a good news story every single day, and he has he's had one he's had this going for over five years, where he finds a good news story, and and a lot of the stuff I use from them. But but my point is, there's a there's good heartwarming stories out there every day, and I'm and I've told probably Randy in five shows, I probably have told twenty five or thirty of them, and they all big big level, small level, you know. Um, one of the exciting ones to me because of people that I know personally that has, have had to deal with the, the hell of Alzheimer's is that uh, they're getting closer and closer and closer. And uh, now they're f they know that changing a single protein erases Alzheimer's in human cells. That's a, that's a, that, was, that one's the big bugger in the last week. Uh, they also have been able to take a control group of rats, and I didn't know that rats' brains are like our brains. Uh, you probably knew out there, you know, the Carmel student in the, in the studio knows that. I don't know that kind of thing. But rats' brains are a lot like our brains. And so what they, they know that what happens is the electrical impulses going to the frontal lobe get blocked, and that's in Alzheimer's patients. So that's what happens to memory, and then it starts to erode the brain. Okay, so, and I don't want to get all too... But really what they found out is the stuff that blocks it, they call it plaque. And the reason they call it plaque is they really do believe it's the same stuff that gets on your teeth that they call plaque. And they can't, electrical impulses can't get through there. So they know what it is. So they first had to do that. And then they had to find something that's going to break all that stuff down or, or do a protein that stops it from building to begin with. But they could break it down without killing you. Yeah. Well, six weeks ago, they found something that does it and the rats it didn't kill the rats and now that follows up this story these two are both alzheimer's stories that that are exciting uh will alzheimer's be fixed by the time you and i are uh, no but by the time him he's sitting right out there and the, he really good chance his generation is not going to have a problem with alzheimer's because of these new findings and you know what why why isn't that on page one Right, right. I'll bet everybody who writes the paper, everybody who makes the decision who what's on the paper or in the news show has somebody in their life that they love that has a problem with Alzheimer's. You would think that that would be a big news story. It is. It's a huge news story. And, and, and then the other thing that uh, I wanted to mention 
in light of an earlier mention of a story. There is a, I don't know if you know, I follow this stuff too, and we just had Earth Day, but the, they found in the northern South Pacific a city of plastic that has congealed together at about the size of Chicago. It goes down about a mile. Now, that one they found a few years ago, and they've been studying it and watching it. South of there, further South Pacific, they found another one about the size of Milwaukee. Now, on an earlier show, I mentioned this. Uh, they studied the Milwaukee one. They took some of it, and they found a bacteria that they had never found, discovered it. It's been, okay, not man-made is my point. And the bacteria does nothing but eat plastic. So they put it in a laboratory, cut a piece of this thing off, and saw, and, and if they reproduce it fast enough, these things just devour the plastic. And they think that second city, well, Chicago's the second city, they think that second city can be done by 2070. Now, in the meantime, scientists are working, had worked on a protein, a man-made protein, enzyme really, and put it on some of that top, the first city. They brought in some plastic from that. It right now only eats one kind of plastic, but it devours it. So they're pretty sure they're going to be able to have that have that happen too. With that. so now they're going to have a natural a bacteria and a man-made. And so you know, I watched all the news coverage of of, of World Day, Earth Day, not a single mention of any of that. So, you know, they're telling us, oh, it's it's horrible. We got to clean up. We got to clean up. Well, you know, we're doing a pretty good job. Plus, the you know, the one area in the world that, that has the least problem with plastics and plastic uh, recycling and, I mean, being in use of plastic, we're living in it. The worst part of the world, the worst part of the world with pollution and plastics isn't even close by to us. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to call anybody names. But the United States of America is the best place for getting rid of plastics in a good way. So, I, and we do a pretty good job. It, it's minimal overall, but we do a pretty good job of recycling them. So, you know, and why isn't that on the news? And so that kind of thing, like, did I say rankles my feather, Randy? So what do you think about all that, about those stories? Now, I just told you about that. I have a couple minutes. You have a few minutes. Do you have any thoughts on any of that? Well, is, that I, is that good news to you about Alzheimer's? Well, it is, of course. And you're correct. There can't be a family listening or, or it seems anywhere that hasn't been impacted by that. And that's somewhat of a recent development as we live longer. And, and uh, health care has improved and lengthened our lifespan and of course, as it's done that, these diseases become more more often uh, the focus because we're living longer. And uh, I think it's particularly painful. I, as you were talking about that, Fitz, I thought about the Alzheimer's end of the spectrum and then the ALS end of the spectrum. In one, your your mind uh, is impaired and your body fairly sound, and the other, your body is failing and your mind is fairly sound and they're both horrific and so you you can't help but think of all the good souls that would benefit from uh, a cure or, or a remedy on either end of that spectrum either the uh, 
the the cognitive end or the physiological well end. that's a very interesting that you're saying that i didn't bring up there is exciting uh, research and news in the als spectrum too it's just not as specific but it's also happening yeah. and they are doing and, and they're doing doing great things right now as we speak with als and uh i i think if we spent a le- little more energy just looking at things like that it, people would well, I think people would probably be a lot more excited, frankly. Fitz, I got to commend you. The the whole good news concept is is it's not novel, but it's a great way to go. And your your long history at Carmona and and my peripheral involvement with it, and that's the way you've operated, and that's that's why those retreats that you run and 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 your successful coaching and your impact on that school. That's why it's been so profound. You've always figured a way to help people and people understand that and appreciate it so kudos to you for a very very successful career doing that it's been a pleasure to to watch that and and uh, to see some of the good work you've done and some of the kids have benefited i'm not deflecting the compliment um as a matter of fact if you want to talk a little more that would be good i'm um i do i do appreciate it i think that's just um that's good that people are out there noticing and it's good that good friends are out there noticing uh this whole concept of the good news show came from me just doing radio games broadcast games and talking to angela tomlinson and i heard had this idea and she said why don't you just do a show yeah here at uh wsfi wsfi why don't you just do a show and so that's what we're doing uh and i do want to mention one more that i think is really exciting this kind of this is the kind of thing that really gets me because there are people like, uh, you know, you don't agree with their politics. It doesn't matter. You know, Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett, well, the richest man in the world. Okay. His son's one of the richest men in the world. He's a billionaire. But his son is an interesting guy. His son thinks he owns, like, hundreds of thousands of acres of farmland in central Illinois and Indiana. There's no uh, state boundary. It goes all the way across the state. He owns that much. And he drives during the season. He drives a tractor two hours a day, and he said, because you know why? Because I need to humble myself. Just because I'm a billionaire, I got lucky. And he says, this is this is thing, and he's got a plan, that he thinks he can help render hunger a thing of the past in the United States of America before his death. Now, he says he can't do it because of infrastructure. He doesn't know that he can do it all over the world. But my point to say that is feeding homeless, feeding hungry people. The city of Denver, which, by the way, is about as far ahead with things like this as you can be. The city of Denver, Colorado, has a thing set that's uh, has an organization called We Don't Waste. This is exciting to me. How many big, big uh, arena things do you think they have in Denver? There's something going on there all the time. Big concerts, the Denver Broncos, uh, baseball, major league college football. You got everything. Every big venue, these we don't waste people, work. And what they do is they collect all of the extra food, every bit of it. None of it gets thrown away. They immediately cart it to homeless shelters. And they feed, well, literally hundreds of thousands of people every single day. (laughs) We don't waste. Now, let me ask you a question. First of all, I think that's fantastic. It's, like, unbelievable. Did you ever even hear We Don't Waste before I just nope. said it? Nope. And you know what? I, 
I read about it. Father Glenn Snow, one of Father Glenn Snow's day. He said it to me this this week. I was coming on the show, and I went, I need one more good one. I want a good one. And I click on the We Don't Waste. I'm like, oh, my God. And that's happening in Denver right now. Now, let's get ready with the rest of the cities getting that going. Because there's big, Chicago's full of big venues. How much food are they dumping in dumpsters? You know, and, and so I, you think about Warren Buffett saying that, and you think about that. Oh, my goodness. And I think about going to feed my starving children. And, and when I first started going there and, and knowing that 25 years ago, one out of every um, seven kids went to bed hungry in the world. Then five years ago, it was one out of eight. Now it's one out of nine. And they're knocking on the door of one out of ten. It's happening. So, we can, you know, that's good news. That's good news, and that's why this is the story fits, which is a which is a good news show. And Randy Obram, thanks for being on. The story fits with Mike Fitzgibbons. Uh, story fits F I T Z. If you want a podcast, you can check out well WSFI. Uh, their their website will have podcasts on within a week of this show and other podcasts of my show, uh, other podcasts of other shows. But let those people get on there. Uh, my website's goodnewsfitsall.com. And it's been a great hour, and it flew by. Thank you very much, everybody, and have a great day. And in the words of Harry Carey, so long, everybody. Take a moment now to donate online at 